Continuing this morning with the subject of stewardship, let me just give you a background again on on that so far, some headlines. Thinking about stewardship, God is the owner, we are stewards. That's the lesson that Jesus says again and again through his parables of teaching. God owns everything that you think you own. That's for his and he owns you too. Twice over because he's yours by creation and by redemption. If he's bought you with the blood of Christ, he owns you twice over. Oh, gone wrong way. And we are stewards. We're responsible, accountable, and we will be rewarded for doing well. We're stewards of ourselves, of our time, our lives. We're stewards of what the Lord's given us in ourselves to be used for his glory and the good of others. Our talents, we tend tend to call that. Though talent was really a piece of silver in the early times, but it it got crossed over into meaning our abilities and talent shows and all those things. We're stewards of the wealth and cash flow he provides to us, the treasure. Though it shouldn't be our treasure, he is our treasure. And today we're going to come to this subject here, contentment. Now I can't think I've ever heard a sermon on contentment. Anybody can beat me on that one? No. No, this is the first time ever that I've ever preached on contentment or you've ever heard a sermon on contentment. Well, there you go. <laughs> You're ready. I'm not sure I am. Um, it's been it's been a difficult week in a number of ways. So actually, I've got quite a short sermon. But whether it's short when I actually say it, we'll see. So listen, God is owner. We're His stewards. So in His wisdom and kindness, what He gives to every one of us is enough, and we can be content with His provision. God doesn't provide all of our wish list, but he provides all of our needs. And why doesn't he fulfill all our wish list? Because some of it wouldn't be good for us. Yeah? Now, you know the scripture, I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me, yes? Okay, we're going to go to the context of that. This is where it comes in the scripture. Philippians 4 verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. Let me give you the background to this. The Philippian church have sent Paul some money to help him. All right? They've renewed their care for him. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret. It's a secret you have to learn of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. This is when it says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What are the all things? What is just said. Still you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. So they'd sent him some financial support, and he's grateful. But he maintains he's no happier to have it than not to have it. Whether his circumstances are of having little or having much, he's learned the secret of being content. And it's in that context that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He can handle the change of the flow of God's provision. If it's more or less from time to time, without doubting God's goodness or allowing himself to be discontent 
in God. It's not really a text you can rip out of there and stick on any, anything and everything. You know, you're faced with fixing a car. You don't know how to fix it. Well, uh, give me a spanner. I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. And no matter how much you claim it, you've got to learn it. You have to learn it. I've learned to be content. Here's the flow of what Paul's saying here. Let me just give you these three headlines from these scriptures. I have learned... To be content in whatever circumstances I am. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Thirdly, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. There's something to learn. And I think, truthfully, not many of us do learn this secret. Why is that? Because the world makes it really, really hard for us to learn. Because this is so contrary to the way of this world. So utterly against the the flow of the, the mindset of this world. To be content. Content here means having sufficiency. Enough. Enough. That's from the Greek word rather than from a Bible, rather than an English dictionary. We have to be careful interpreting the English Bible from the English dictionary because we go, words change meaning over time. Having sufficient, having enough. But for some people, enough is never enough, is it? There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes, I think it is, or Proverb. You know, the worm cries more, more, more. You know, there's never enough. You know, there's an appetite for certain things that enough is never enough. And for some people, money, there's never enough money. There's always a hunger for more. As Christians, we should learn to be content to know that God's provision is enough. Paul doesn't say, I have heard. He says, I have learned. It was going through the experiences of plenty and not plenty and hunger and welfare that he learned this. You can't teach it in a seminar. You've got to go through life and learn this secret of contentment. So you are no, you're not, you know, over the moon when the money comes in and you're not, you know, having a, a, a black dog day, as Churchill used to call them, for his days of depression, because the money's run tight. You learn to be steady. You learn to be content. In the highs and lows of life, Paul learned not to set anything by the high or the low. To treat both success and disaster as imposters, as uh, old uh, Kipling said. You know, uh, it's, it, it, There are days like that and days like that. Yeah. But life goes on. Yeah. To refuse to be moved from faith, trust and obedience in the Lord. Let me give you some headlines. We're talking about contentment instead of concern. By concern, I mean worry, but I wanted to see that. Instead of worry, contentment. The preceding verses to Philippians 4, verse 10 and onwards that we read earlier are these. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, 
through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's one of my favorite texts, that one. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, it just goes beyond logic. You can't figure it out that you can have peace in the circumstance you're in. But it passes every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's divine peace. It's sovereign peace. It doesn't depend upon the circumstances being easy and comfortable. It overwhelms them. The sense of God's presence and God's peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the thread to follow there is this. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about anything. Stay in the peace of God and be content. Be content. Probably can't read that, it's too pale. The secret of contentment and inner peace is found in our letting go of the need to be in control and resting in the confidence that God is in control. Am I in charge or is God in charge? Am I the king or is he the king? Am I the shepherd or is he the shepherd? But letting go of feeling the need to to manage and push and make it happen. Even faith is preached nowadays as something that you do to make things happen. I refute that teaching. Faith in God is resting in him and trusting him and asking of him and receiving from him. Contentment instead of worry, instead of concern. Now, does that mean when I'm suddenly faced with a big bill, I'm not concerned? Of course I'm concerned about it, but what do I do? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, make your request. Bring your request. Lord, this is, I, was, I was not expecting the car to cost this much to fix this month. Wow, please help us, Lord. You know? And uh, with prayer and with thought and with consideration, maybe you can... Squeeze on other things that month and get that done and get other things done a month or two ahead, you know, things you plan to do. But it's coming with bringing it before the Lord, laying it before him, asking for his wisdom, asking for his strategy to handle things in life. Not, I'm in charge, I know what to do. And those of us who used to be in accountants or in businesses or whatever else, that's a big thing we need to get over. You know, we, we knew how to handle money and cash flow and all that kind of thing. But to actually submit your own circumstances and your own situation to the Lord and say, I'm not in control here. I'm not the one in charge. Contentment instead of concern. Contentment instead of covetousness. Greed. You shall not covet. It's the, one of the commandments, isn't it? Paul in Romans says he didn't know what coveting was until he read it, thou shalt not covet, and then he started coveting everything. <laughs> he didn't know what it was, but then, he, oh, look at that, oh, look at that, whoa, I want one of those, oh. You shall not covet. Greed. Avarice. Wanting more. I've got this, but I want that. Contentment is the opposite and antidote to covetousness. And yet covetousness is what makes the world go round. It does. 
It's the appeal to, are you sure you're happy with the washing machine you've got? Don't you want this one? Are you sure you don't want this brand spanking new one? You know? Are you sure you don't want to upgrade your iPhone, David? No, this works perfectly well. Thank you very much. When it, when it dies, I'll get another one, but I'll buy a second-hand one because then I'm not paying through the nose for a new one. It's like, COVID, 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 got to have, got to have, got to have. You know? Here is Paul writing to his younger friend, Timothy. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he's conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. Paul doesn't cut it, does he? (laughs) He doesn't. He gives it sharp. From these come envy, quarrelling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these There are indeed people today doing precisely what Paul warned about here. They present faith as a way to wealth. Well, we all should be rich if we're God's children. We all should have, you know. I mean, why settle for less than a millionaire? By the way, the the lottery makes some people millionaires by taking the money from other people. Did you figure that one out? Other people lost last night. Well, a few won. That's a very strange redistribution of wealth in my book. But poor people give up their money so a few people can have, can have lots. Don't get it. It's immoral. But there are preachers and teachers who present faith as a way to be rich. Paul calls those people of depraved and deprived mind. Who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. I, I will not have truck with prosperity teaching. I won't use the, the rude words that some people I know use about them. Good preachers do. It's false teaching. It is clearly labelled as such here. Because the outcome of that kind of teaching is to make you more more of a worldling than ever and to get you to love money more than ever. That's the outcome of that teaching. That's the fruit of that teaching. By their fruits you shall know them. The way of faith, obedience and holiness is contentment, not covetousness. Not to be wound up into, I must get more, I must have more. But but seeing what I have is from the Lord. I can enjoy what I now have because it came from a good God. Contentment, not covetousness. Contentment is an attitude that says, I will be satisfied with what God has given me. I will be satisfied with what he has given me. And if I'm in need and what I have doesn't stretch to my needs, then I'll appeal to him for his help and for his provision, right? But listen, we may need a car, but we don't need, you know, 
I don't need a, a brand spanking new Tesla. Yeah? Contentment is an attitude that says, I will be satisfied with what God has given me. Another one is contentment instead of consumerism. You say, well, isn't that covetousness? Well, let me just go around this a minute. Consumerism. The economic system of this world depends on people buying things and more of those things and then more expensive things. That's the way the world works. That's what advertising is for. You've got this, but you know there's a newer one. You've got this, but you know there's a bigger one. You've got this, but you know there's a more expensive one. Trading up, trading up, trading up. And if we stop doing that, a whole heap of capitalism and commercialism will begin to crumble. Interestingly, there are young people born this side of the 2000s, you know, the millennials, who are beginning to question the whole system and saying, we don't need to do that anymore. We're going to choose to live more simply. They're not even Christians. They're questioning that whole system and saying, I'm, I'm opting out. I'm opting out. Here's a scripture from Jesus. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Your value, your measure as a person, a man or a woman, is not in how much you own. The world might value that that way. God does not. From a divine perspective, your value is who you are and who he made you, not what you possess, not what you own, not the balance in the bank or the, the, the quality of the car on the drive. The world measures people by those things. God does not. So watch out and be on guard against all forms of greed, avarice, covetousness, because one's life is not built on those things. We don't need to continually buy more possessions. We don't have to follow the way of this world. We're citizens of heaven and we live by different values to this world. And part of consumerism is to be seen to be buying. You must be seen to be doing it. It's got to be something that is, you know, it, it's kind of on your back or it's, on your, it's, in your, it's, on your, it's the phone you bring out your pocket. Something that says, I, I got this. Look what I've got. It's display of wealth. You know, we used to live over in New Hall. We now live in Northbrooks. When we lived in New Hall, our next door neighbour had a Lotus sports car in his garage. He brought it out every Sunday morning, took it for a drive, brought it back, washed it, and put it back in the garage. <laughs> and I used to say to Carol as I'm getting ready for church, he's having his Sunday worship down there. <laughs> he was. That was his God. Once a week, took his God for a drive and then washed it and put it back in the garage. <laughs> but, get this, you've got to be seen to be doing it. It's conspicuous consumerism. I know of people who not only keep the tag on their sleeve of the, what the maker of the suit is, they even leave the price tag on the back so you know how much it costs. <laughs> right, am I right, Colin? Yep. What is that? Show off. How much did he spend on He said, oh, I spent 600 quid on mine. 
here's the thing. There's a whole lot of that conspicuous consumerism which is actually a lie because those things were bought on credit. Yes. Mm. They were bought with a debt attached. Yes. Money's owed on what they've bought. So it looks like I bought this, but you didn't because you owe the money on it. So those displays of supposed wealth are actually a display of debt. That's how crazy this gets. Consumer debt in this nation and other nations grows year on year. Debt is a massive problem for many individuals and households. Let me tell you that some time ago now, we as as Lighthouse made a policy decision that we would not have card payment machine on a Sunday morning. We wouldn't put an online payment system in our website and neither would we take mobile phone payments to Lighthouse. Why? Because I do not want anybody to give even one pound that adds to debt. Because when, when the credit card statement comes through, you've got a debt to pay. When the mobile phone comes through and you've, you've, you've given generously to Lighthouse but it's been charged to your mobile account, you've got to pay that. We said, not doing it. Not doing it. Policy decision. I do not want people to give and increase by doing so their debt. So it's not just resisting modern methods. That's why I've said we're not doing that. I remember when I was told that you know, it was possible now to do that in an alien church and, and I said, we're not doing it and this is why. They, they, the person I spoke to looked at me and said, wow. Wow, that's principle, isn't it? I said, that's what I believe. Cash check, transfer from your bank account, that's fine. I hope you're giving money you have, not what you don't have. But consumerism, being seen to have acquired, being seen to possess, we need to, we need to treat that like, like, like a horrible disease. It's like we're not going to do that. Jesus says, keep yourself free from that greed. Your life is not measured by your possessions. Don't get sucked into it. I know it's the way the whole world is. Yes, it is. But the whole world is without God. That's why. They're without hope and without God in this world. So for us to become like the world is to give up on trusting God, to give up on being believers. Another one is this. Contentment instead of contention. You know, money and the use of money is a, is a big area of contention. I don't, I'm not prying into anybody's household conversations, but I think there are a few typical ones that go on. How about this from Ecclesiastes? There's a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, and though he has, there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. In other words, this man is struggling to have more money and there's no one to share it with, there's no one to give it to, he doesn't have any heirs or dependents, and yet he cannot stop struggling to get more. How many times have we heard about you know, the, 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 the big mogul miser who, in the course of his life, you know, has failed marriages and his kids don't talk to him anymore, but he keeps on pushing on to get, get more money. Money's become more important to him than anything else in the world. And guess what? One day... God will say from heaven, you fool, tonight your game is up. Tonight's the night you die. 
People continually strive to acquire more but can never be content. Both trying to become rich and trying to manage restricted cash flow on those low times causes contention. Strive for money is a difficult issue in many marriages. Uh, There are a number of scripts I could go to, but one I would say is quite often is, you don't earn enough, reply, no, you spend too much. What that couple need to learn, if they're a Christian couple, they have a chance of doing so, if they're not, it's tough for them, is to learn contentment. What comes in is from God, and with his help we'll manage it well. God's provision is enough for us, even when it's blessed after we've returned the tithe to him and he's managed wisely. Benjamin Franklin said this. He's not a noted Christian, by the way, but he was an you know, interesting American scholar. Contentment makes poor men rich and discontent makes rich men poor. Got it? Contentment makes poor men who don't have much rich. They have enough and are glad for it. Discontent makes rich men poor. They've never got enough. They're always hungry for more. But lastly, and I think finally, I want you to notice this. We're content not in circumstances, but in Christ. Let me run that through you again. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's being content in God, not in the cash pile, not in the possessions, not in the assets, but in God. Therefore, when these things increase or decrease, that's okay. That's just the flow of life because God is still God. Being content in him. Christian contentment is not simply putting up with whatever happens. That's a Greek philosophy called Stoicism. Kai serah, serah, whatever will be, will be. Carol and I went to a concert the other Saturday night. Carol's brother was performing in Stevenage with his band, doing a lot of soul numbers and stuff. It was good fun. And they put on some music when the, when the, the audience were going out, and they put on Kesarad. They all joined in. I thought, what planet did I just land on? All waving their hands, whatever will be. That is not Christian doctrine, by the way. That's fatalism. We live by faith, not fatalism. No, oh, whatever, can't be changed. No, we appeal to God in faith for his help, for him to make things change. He's our helper. Yes? We live on the cusp of his help, his deliverance, his intervention. May not be right now, but it'll be soon, you know? Christian contentment rests in this, my justified one will live by faith. Living by faith. Living by faith in God means depending upon him, trusting him, receiving from him. Christian contentment, not Buddhist contentment or Stoic contentment, and people push those two things, you know, Buddhism kind of fatalism and Stoicism fatalism, is Christian contentment is godly contentment, it's contentment in God. 
contentment in him. We bring all our cares and concerns and needs to the Lord, who is our provider. How many of you know Jehovah Jireh? The Lord our provider, Jehovah Jireh. That means there will be points in life when I am in need for him to be my provider. But whatever he provides, I receive it gladly from him, for he gave it to me. Yes? Yes. Whether it's small, it's big or small, I receive it gratefully because he gave it to me. But if I'm finding it difficult to manage, I ask for his help. We bring our concerns to him. We receive from him with thanks. We give back to him his portion. We rest on his promises that having honoured him, what we have from him will be blessed to meet our needs. And in extraordinary times of need, he will make extraordinary provision. I worked for you as an accountant. I can tell you that there are times, particularly the time when, when I first got involved with Rob here in Lighthouse, it's no secret to tell you that there was about a year in which Rob and I shared a salary between us. We took half a salary each. How we got through that year, my accountancy brain doesn't figure out, but we did. That's the goodness of God. Did I fight some battles of faith? Yes. But I began to learn a bit about contentment too. What God has given us will be enough. I trust him, it will be enough. Is that a secret? Did you know that? Resentment comes from looking at others. Whoa, what have they got? There's psalms like that. I was envious at the wicked who've got their fancy cars. It doesn't quite say fancy cars, but you know what I'm saying. There's psalms like that. Resentment comes from looking at others. Contentment comes from looking at God. Christian contentment, godly contentment, rests in him, in the Lord Jesus here it is in Hebrews 13. Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, whatever else we may or may not have, we have the Lord with us. His constant presence. His, 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 his heart is open to us. His ear is open to us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. If he does that any time in life, he has broken his word and he will not do it. I will never leave you or forsake you. But the temptation is when we come into a really difficult phase... In, in life, of difficulty, of, of illness, of whatever, that we think he has, but he says, I will never leave you. Amen. I will never forsake you. So let me go back to 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Godliness is mentioned further up in 1 Timothy as well. What is godliness? Well, it's being God-centered, God-focused. It's using the means of grace and the disciplines of righteousness to pursue knowing and loving the Lord, by which I mean praying, reading scripture, tithing, giving, fasting, 
fellowshipping with Christians, supporting one another, receiving and giving encouragement and support one to another as fellow believers. By all those means of grace, we are being supported and strengthened and we grow in the grace of God so that we actually become a little more, bit by bit, like our Father. Remember how Jesus challenged, if you do that, you're not being like your Father, but if you do that, you're being more like your Father. Yeah? That's our goal in life, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, who's just like the Father. To be conformed, predestined, to be conformed, to be like Jesus. So, godliness is pursuing being conformed. And using the means of grace which God gives us practically day by day, day by week by week to be conformed, to be changed in shape, in character. Some of us would like to be changed in shape, wouldn't we? But as character, as people, is the way we respond and react to the things of life and to the people around us. Learning to be more godly. Godly is a word that's gone way out of fashion, hasn't it? And when did you last hear the word Godly. Godliness is practically acting out, learning to be godly. God-centered, God-focused, God-honoring, God-reflecting. That his nature, his character is beginning to be seen in you and I as well. I want you to listen to these last words from the Lord Jesus now. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? I'd have liked to bid another four or five inches, And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of those. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the furnace, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Won't he do much more for you? Make sure you're fed and clothed. These things coming from his provision, not by just your effort. So why? So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what we will, will we wear. For the idolaters, the pagans, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things, but your father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. We don't have musicians back, but I'd like us to sing a bit of a song together at this point in time.